one of the biggest excuses or reasons we use not to move forward is we don't have clarity about the future. In this case, I don't know what's next. And in my experiences, we always know what's next. We're just scared of it. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Kevin Plank. Everyone must have a voice and everyone deserves clarity. My guest today, who is also a good friend, is Philip McKernan. Philip is a clarity coach who works with entrepreneurs and business leaders all over the world. When people are seeking clarity about their future or want to move to roadblocks, seen and unseen, Philip's the first person they call. He's also a world-renowned keynote speaker who has spoken to the Canadian Olympic team, the Pentagon, and many more organizations, and is the founder of the One Last Talk movement and the author of the One Last Talk book. Philip, thanks for uh, returning to the Elevate podcast. Thanks so much for having me back again. I appreciate it. So this is your second time on the show. Uh, we got a little more into your background detail in the last episode, which was one of the most downloaded to date. So I would encourage everyone to check that out. It's episode uh, 83 with Philip McKernan. But as a refresher for people who don't know you or your work, like what is a clarity coach? And, and how do you <laughs> clearly explain <laughs> the type of work that you do to other people? Well, actually, it, it may not surprise you because you know me, but it's not easy to explain what I do. <laughs> it really is not. Even my wife, who came unclear about it, how you describe how you help people get clarity. Well, I, I think what I what I would say is I meet people where they're at, and what I do is a very good job in helping them get clear on the information they already know. In other words, uncovering the clarity that they need rather than giving them the clarity they need. And I think giving people clarity can also be disempowering to some extent. Anyone who comes to me, Robert, when they walk in the door, they already have the answers. My job is to ask the right questions, don't accept their bullshit, steer them in the direction so they can uncover it for themselves. And um, it seems to work pretty well. Well, that's a good segue. So let me describe how I met Philip in the context. And then and then we'll come back to the discussion we had in, in a little bit. But I actually met Philip through this incredible organization called MMT. We just had the first get together in three New Year's. I know you couldn't make it. But um, and Philip was leading this group. And there was a circle of people. And a guy raised his hand and, and you know, it's like, hey, Philip, help with clarity. And he said, I, I've been struggling for like five. And I don't know if you'll remember this. I've been struggling for like five or six years. I just I don't know if I want to sell my business or keep my business. And Philip was sort of sitting directly opposite from this gentleman in the circle and said to him, well, tell me about your business. He described it. And he said, well, do you like your business? <laughs> Philip's very direct. And the guy said, well, you know, I... No, I haven't really liked it for a while. And, and he said, well, if you weren't doing this business, do you know what you'd want to do next? And, and the gentleman said, well, you know, no, I don't really know. And, and they got quiet for a minute. And this is one of Philip's famous lines. I don't want to steal his punchline. But he said to him, well, if you did know, what would you do next? And the guy just answered. He said, I, well, I would go do X, Y, and Z. And so Philip said, well, so how about we uh, commit to sell your business in the next three months since you don't like it? You told me you've been struggling for whatever years and you go sell your business and then go do X, Y, Z. And the guy's like, okay. And he's like, can you commit to do that in three months? And the guy said, okay. And I'm watching all of this in five minutes. I'm watching like the relief on this guy's face and like whatever years of torment. And I was like, how did that just happen? So I chased down Philip. I made him have lunch with me and I'll get into that conversation a, a little bit later. But like, Using that as an example, what, what, and I know you and I have talked about this. I don't know whether it's on the podcast or personally, like how much of it is intuition and the right questions? Because every, every, the common denominator of anyone who talks to Philip for more than five minutes is they end up crying. In fact, we had these dinners that night, like where everyone went out with different dinners and I was like, oh, it was great. And someone's like, our whole table was crying. And I, and I was like, why was it? They're like, oh, Philip was at our table. I was like, oh, that, well, that makes sense. So what, like, how does something like that happen where, where this person's struggling with this forever and in five minutes, you get them mm -hmm. to sell your business? <laughs> they need to sell their business. Wow. So we've got three hours. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I hope. Um, a couple of things. One is I'm not powerful enough to make anyone cry. And, and I want to just qualify this very, yeah. very just 
very quickly, if you don't mind. I know you kind of say it jokingly and everything right. else, but it's true. Often, you get to the heart of things for people that makes the right to the emotional issue very absolutely. quickly. Yeah. And when people <laughs> drop out of their head and they connect emotionally yeah. with what's going on in their life, sometimes one of the physical responses to that is an emotional outburst or an emotional breakdown or just engaging with you know that relief in that sense. And beyond that, there's all always this immense clarity that's just kind of bubbling on the surface. I, I do remember that specific moment. I don't remember the details of yeah. it, but often I'll be sitting in a room on a Zoom call, whatever it is, and I'll watch the demeanor of the person. I, I won't even watch their body language. I'll feel the way in which they ask the question. And often there's clarity or answers in the very question they're asking. And I, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders who will say to me, I love my work. And I go, really? Because every time you talk about your work, I don't feel love. Love is one of the most potent, most beautiful, most extraordinary words in the in the English language. And what what's behind love is the sort of things that we hold sacredly. It's a sacred word that we hold for our children, for our partners, hopefully for ourselves, but rarely. And I'll often say, is it like or love? They go, no, no, well, I like it. And then suddenly you're you're pulling the thread. And then before you know it, they'll go, well, there's days I'm not doing what I want to do. And But it's not the case for everybody. And they're trying to justify and rationalize. And if you just are patient and you ask the right questions, and you don't tell people it's going to be okay, and you trust your own intuition as a coach, and you you know they have the answer. The big mistake I think most coaches make is they want to be the hero. They want to swoop in, and they want to be the hero in those moments. When in reality, if you think about what you said, some people might have thought I looked good doing that, but in reality, he was the hero. He gave us every question and every answer he needed. So therefore, he was being empowered. So, so you, I would you say leave, that you leave people in their discomfort rather than trying to pull them out of it, right? Absolutely. Because the discomfort is the thing we're avoiding an awful lot. And I would say that a lot of it is intuition. I would say that 80, 90% of what I do is intuition and the balance is intellect. The physiology, like what you were saying around, so so you see a big difference between what people say and then you're seeing their emotional expression of, of what that actually, like, again, if you said, yeah, I love my wife, right? Like that's not... <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna what what you're saying and what you're what you're effectuating are not are not the same thing, right? Correct. Yeah, there's there's listening to somebody and you can hear the words. Hearing them is another level. Like you go a little bit deeper and then feeling into the words they're using and feeling into the situation and backing that up or solidifying that with better questions. And sometimes people are just asking the wrong questions or they haven't been hit with a direct question. I'll ask. I asked somebody the other day. Is it yes or no? And he's well, it's not a yes or no answer. And I said, well, it is, it is today. And he goes, yeah. well, absolutely no way then. And then suddenly that no way is the first time they verbalized it. Then suddenly they come out with this wave of, well, now that we're on the subject, let me tell you about my shitty business or whatever it is. And before you know it, you start to get in, in touch with what they're, what they're holding, all of the energy they're holding. And it's like a floodgate is just released temporarily. And there's often a kind of a vulnerability hangover because then they go, shit, I just announced to the world that I don't love or like my business. Yeah, now yeah. what? Everyone's watching me. And we're often so afraid of some future unfolding. And one of the biggest excuses or reasons we use not to move forward is we don't have clarity about the future. In this case, I don't know what's next. And in my experiences, we always know what's next. We're just scared of it. Yeah. So you said something in there that, that occurred to me because, I mean, your style is not to let people off the hook, right? And, and I think if I think about great coaches, a lot of people just go to their friends and they they know what they want to hear and they just want to hear it repeated, right? You think about great coaches, they really push people. You think too many coaches are letting their clients off the hook or just the easy question, the answer, like it, it, it takes some pushing to get to these things, right? You've got to be prepared for your clients to hate you. Like your coach to hate, some people, they hated their coach, but they'd say, I did the best you know, the people we even said with Stephen Jobs, like hate him as a person. I did the best work in my career, you know, yeah. with him. If you want to be friends, we all want to be desperately liked. Yeah. Like we all want to be liked. And I think as a coach, when you're in a very intimate environment, you're getting into conversations about marriages and parenting and childhood and sexuality and everything else that filters around sport and entrepreneurship and leadership that has an effect on, on how people show up on the ice. When you're getting into that territory, you know, that's an even deeper intimate conversation with, with a human being. There's this overriding, often deep need and desire to be liked by that person. And a lot of people dislike me, whether it's temporarily or whether it's long term, because I, I act as a mirror and they get to see both their beauty if they're patient with me and their brilliance 
and the ugly side of themselves all at the same time. And most of us don't want to see that. And I'm relentless with that because I love people so much. I have such care and such compassion for humans that I'm prepared to be disliked temporarily so someone can get in touch with who they are and what they're on this earth to do. And I'll give some examples. I bet people disagree with you viscerally 90% of the time. And then you get a lot of callbacks days, months, <laughs> or weeks later. And I'll give an example of those things. You know what? I was thinking about what you said. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm guessing you get a few of those calls. All the time. All the time. I'll give you, I'll give you a quick one. I was in a workshop in, in Toronto years ago. And we played a game where it was, you're not allowed to do what you do professionally. And you just got to pick a, a random career and, yeah. and anything else. And this girl refused to play the game. She just refused. And I said, it's just a game. It's no contracts. We're not asking you to leave your career. We're not asking you to sell your business. It's just, we're just a game. And she point blank refused it. And uh, long story short, it was a two-day workshop. She didn't show up the following day. And not just did she not show up, but she went on Facebook and went on Twitter and she went and she started kind of pretty much hammering me, the work I do and everything else, which was, it, it was painful. But, but so was, you know that you hit a chord. And you've absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast forward four or five years, I'm a keynote speaker at an event. And I feel this energy behind me, like literally feel. And I turn around and it's her. And it's four to five years later. And she looks like a puppy that's just eaten a bar of chocolate that they shouldn't. I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a, yeah. in a derogatory sense, but just the guilty kind of look. And I said, how are you doing? And I gave her a hug. And she said, I am so sorry for walking out. And I'm so sorry for what I said about you. She said, you just got me to see something I wasn't ready to see. And four or five years have passed before she confronted me. Interesting. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I, I, you have you have some great quotes. I want to share a few of my favorites as sort of prompts to discussing it. You, you said on the last podcast, people travel thousands of miles and spend thousands of dollars to meet with me for the clarity that they don't really want. Yeah. <laughs> Explain. So often... We seek clarity. We're in a space in our lives where we know there's something off. There's just something. And no matter how much success we bring into our lives, no matter how big the extension we put in our home, no matter how many puppies we buy, there's just this sense that I'm just not quite where I need to be in my life, whether it's geographically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it happens to be. And often it's because we're just not facing a truth. We're either not addressing a trauma that we've been through or various traumas, or we're not a fate when we're unwilling to face the fact that perhaps I'm living in the wrong city, I'm in the wrong relationship, I'm in the wrong work, or I'm not expressing my artistry in the world. 
And in other words, I'm, I may be playing with my, my talent, but I'm not getting to my gift. And the ramifications for those truths seem so big. They feel so significant. They feel so destructive and disruptive that they would rather struggle daily. People often say to me, Robert, oh, this work is really hard. And I used to say, it is, but the rewards are immense. Now I say bullshit. It's not hard. What's hard is not doing the work. What's hard is not going in and understanding who you are and uncovering and digging into those weeds and doing the work that perhaps you've been avoiding or you didn't realize you needed to do. Um, So often we're really afraid of the unknown. And I'll share one last thing and then I'll leave it at that, is what I find is the clarity that's just on the, the precipice of where we're unwilling to go means that we have to show up differently in the world. So, for example, I'm just going to use a podcast because we're talking about yeah. it. Someone desperately wants to do a podcast, but they're afraid. They tell themselves all sorts of stories. But the reason they don't want to, to get to the clarity of a podcast as an artistic expression, if they do it, if one that's the essence of who they are, is because it would require them to step out into the world, show themselves the world, be more authentic in the world. And here's the problem. It all comes down to this. I'm okay failing doing something I know I don't want to do. But what if I step out and do a podcast, which is what I really want to do in the world? What if that goes wrong? There's no, it's like the deepest, darkest, endless black hole that exists on earth. When in reality, my view is when you do step out into the world and step into the world using the greatest expression of who you are, you cannot and you will not fail. I've never seen someone fail doing what they're meant to do. Never. It just doesn't exist. And fail may not be by the definition that they had had going into it, right? Like the podcast might not have a million downloads, but again, it might serve a totally different purpose that they never realized. Yeah. If the goal is a million downloads, I'm not saying that shallow and it's wrong. What I'm saying is that's not the type of... It's not why you're doing it. Essence and, and depth that I'm looking for. I'm looking for them to do a podcast because they have to. It's like... I will almost feel like part of me will die if I don't. I need to bring this message to the world that I wish I'd heard 20 years ago. That's the kind of energy that I want people to bring to something. Therefore, one download or a million downloads doesn't actually matter to them. Right. It's more important than you that you did it. Yeah. All right. Next next quote. The I think this might not this goes to I think your personal story and a lot of what you do, but um uh, I do believe to my core that our greatest gifts lie right next to our deepest wounds. Yeah. And and this you started this with yourself, right? Uh, so <laughs> you said at the very beginning of this podcast that I wrote a book called One Last Talk. And we don't need to get into what One Last Talk is, but essentially, if I had to summarize it, essentially you give an opportunity to stand on the stage of life, whether it's a physical stage or not, and share the one last talk you'd ever give to the people that are most meaningful or, or most important in your life. And you can say what it is you need to say, etc. And essentially it's giving people a place, a platform to be heard. As a child, I was not heard. I wasn't really seen. And therefore, I believe to some extent, it's no coincidence that the guy who felt unheard as a kid created a movement that is all about people getting an opportunity to be deeply heard in the world. And so therefore, a lot of what we've been through as a child and and what are the traumas that we've, we've struggled with have deeply influenced our lives. We're guilty as hell of this in Ireland, and I'm sure in, in, in the US as well. Guilty is probably the wrong term, but we're very good at putting- You have a lot of guilt in Ireland. So you're going to- Oh, we're, we're, we, invent, we invented <laughs> guilt, rain, and Guinness. That's what we invented. And don't even try and take it off. That us. sounds like a whole, I would, you know, play a slow song and that's a good day, right? I mean- Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. But the, the song is all about people dying <laughs> and everything else. But if you go into most houses in Ireland where the house has mature children in it, they will have a wall of fame. And the wall of fame would be typically the day their children graduated from college. And it seems to be this amazing. And then on the other wall, there'd be marriages and, you know, births and christenings and everything else. But nowhere in Irish homes or many homes around the world do we have a wall of shame. Nor am I suggesting we do it, but I'm asking people to play with this idea that sometimes the things that have hurt us the most have shaped us the most. The things that we're embarrassed about, the things that we're insecure about, they pull the strings more than we can imagine. And yet we shy away from them. We hide those things. We bury them in a box, put the box in the ground and dig a hole a thousand meters and bury it and everything else. And I think we don't have to linger in these places, but I think it's really important that we shine a light on the things that have affected us negatively so we can understand how they're shaping us every single day now and into the future. 
And, and one of the reasons why I think we don't do that is because like we don't honor that truth or that purpose that came from it is feeling like that that blame or, or purpose or victimization are sort of mutually exclusive. So so the example I think mm-hmm. I gave in the book Elevate, which tied to this a lot, I'm sure you'd agree with it, was like, let's pretend someone had a single parent who worked three jobs as a kid, right? And, and they got them into college and all of this stuff. Well, but they just weren't around a lot during the day. And yeah. so that person goes on to start a after-school program for kids of single you know, parents, and that becomes their purpose. I think there's some guilt in saying like, look, I know my parent did the best that they could. Like, you're not blaming the parent. You're not saying that there's a, you know, it was their fault, but you're just honoring the reality was that you were a little lonely as a kid. And so you've made it your, and I think people really struggle with that. Like we all have stuff happen. It just, if you don't want to blame or you don't want to victimize, then you stop actually recognizing where it came from and how it became a primary driver. 100%. You can love the person, but you don't have to like their behavior. Or they could have been doing their absolute best, but for yeah. you, there was still a hole, right? But here, here's a more damaging ending to that story. They don't honor the loneliness at all. They don't even recognize it. They go, no, 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 my mother, don't go near my mother. Don't even talk yeah. about her. She did. She was incredible. My dad wasn't there. She was a saint. She had three different jobs. And I never saw her, but listen, she did the best she could. And I go, great, but but what was the cost to you? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm the man I am. I'm the woman I am because of her. I go, great, but what is the emotional cost? No, well, there wasn't one. You're assuming there was. And they're just on this all-out attack. Right. And this is where I, I can have. see they break down when they actually answer the question. And right? then finally <laughs> they go, I was lonely. And then I always ask them, give me an example. Well, you know what it's like, Philip. No, no, no. Give me an example of little Robert, of little Philip on a day. And they'll always have this extraordinary vivid moment where they're at a soccer game and all their dads or all the moms are picking them up and they stood there and shied, waved to them all smiling, having lied that their dad is on the way, but the dad was never coming because he's not in the home or whatever. And they had to walk. They always have this incredible vivid example. And here's the thing. Imagine that they didn't go on to build an aftercare school or after our yeah. school. For, and they don't get in touch with their purpose. But by understanding how lonely they were, what that does is triggers this human innate response. Like, how can I help the world with this? How can I how can I prevent this for at least one other human being? That That's the goal of getting people in yeah, touch with And it. the amount of people who would run an award-winning orphanage and not mentally connect, they did it because they were lonely. It's yeah. fascinating to me, right? They don't Amazing. put the, and when they, when you put these pieces together, they have an absolute breakdown. I mean, in a positive way, but I, I am so surprised. I'll give you an example of this. I was at a, a dinner with someone in our industry and, and she was talking about how she could tell innately when couples were having problems or when someone was cheating or whatever. And, and, and was going like Facebook, we were talking about Facebook and stuff people write. And she's like, I just have this, innate ability to know when that is sort of bullshit. And she was very, again, maybe a channeling Philip a lot. She was just very, you know, specific about this. And so I just, I've learned to ask the open-ended question, like, well, like what happened with your family or what was it? her dad up and walked out on her mom and just totally blindsided her one day. Right. So she had never connected the fact that she has this sort of ESP around relationships with the fact that her mom walked out and blindsided. I mean, I watched the reaction, like just hadn't even occurred to her. And it's like literally, you know, it's right there. And what that does is I believe at a very deep level will help her get even further in touch with her gift and why she's on this earth. And I believe the work that I always obsessed, obsessed with this idea that do you believe, and this is a question for your audience, do you believe your greatest work is yet to come? And even your response to that question is extraordinary. Some people say, well, are you, are you mean what I've done is not important? Uh, or, you know, are they, they're excited, they're sad, they're, they beat themselves up, they go, shit, I'm 40 something and I haven't done. You know, I, I believe that when you get somebody in touch with that real why, that's when their greatest work starts to emerge. And, and this is why it really matters in the workplace. And I know a lot of the leaders don't want to go there, but we've done a pretty intensive program to help our, a lot of our emerging leaders discover their personal core values. And there's an interesting pattern that I've seen. And then they go back and they explain that to their team and explains a lot. And a lot of them come from, try to not open it up into a psychological, but I'll ask, does this come from something in childhood or play? I don't even know what it is. So here's one that's come up several times, trust. People that have a core value of trust. People that have a core value of trust or why of trust almost always have a violation of trust earlier in their childhood. 
And then this is how it shows up for them or was showing up for them, a manager, when they didn't explain it. Philip is two minutes late for a meeting. Philip says he's going to do something Wednesday and it's done Thursday. Philip's work is a little off. They are really angry. And there are people that are like, I was two minutes late. It is driving primal fears that Philip is a person that can't be trusted that that are really deep much more like if you're five minutes late for a meeting for me and you come in with better information i don't care like so once they realize that we'd have them go explain that to their team they're like look trust is really important to me and and here are the things that lose trust and once i've lost trust in you it's really hard to get back and just to change the dynamics of their team when they're able to explain that when there was another woman who who had self-awareness as a core value because there was a parent who was extremely self-aware and embarrassed them. And they realized that like when anyone on their team showed a lack of self-awareness, they were like all over them. So, you know, we don't want to get into this stuff sometimes at work or people are afraid to, but, but it really drives, if it's driving a primal childhood fear of yours, the behavior of someone on your team, there, there's a real connection to your leadership ability there. I work with um, soccer players. I love the game. I love the sports. I don't believe in necessarily working in, in, in places that I, I'm not drawn to. And I'll give you one quick example of an amazing soccer player who I was working with. And we got into a chat about his childhood. And he said, uh, we were chatting about, oh, yeah, that's what it was. I said, um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you want from the coming season? And he said, I want to be better. And I said, well, sounds great in theory. And I was being super sarcastic. <laughs> what does that look like? And he said, I need, to, I need to score an additional five goals in soccer. Like, so he was very specific. And I said, great. So what would you need to do to achieve that? And he said to me, I'd need to go out and practice, like just shoot at the net and just practice and practice and practice. Said, great. Sounds great in theory, but I'm sure you've tried that before. He goes, well, I am. I am. He said, are you saying that's a waste of time? I said, no, no, no. I said, what if, what if we try this on for size? I don't believe you. <laughs> and he goes, what? I said, I just don't believe you. You don't believe what? Well, what part of my story do you not believe? I said, I don't believe that you want to be better. Now, honestly, Robert, between you and I, I'm, I'm going on a hunch. I'm going on a, on a, yeah. on a potential. I, I don't Good know. Good hunches, though. Yeah. And I said, I just don't believe you want to. I, I, I hear the words. It sounds so great. You should have read it off of the back of a book or something before you came into the, the, to the call with me. But there's some part of me tells me that you don't actually want to be a soccer player. So I want to know about your childhood. I want to, about, I want to know about your family dynamics. He said, my mom's this, my dad's this, and they come from a pretty poor background in, in England. And he said, and my brother, he said, we got on pretty well, but he, oh my God, he was some player. And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, he was extraordinary. And I said, compared to you, he goes, oh, he was twice the soccer player I am. And I'm sitting there going like, I am just like bubbling <laughs> up inside. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so he's pretty young. I'm sure his brother's pretty young. I said, so what is he doing now? He's a mechanic, he's a mechanic making 300 euros a week or something like that. And I said, so let me ask you a question. When you, when you get off a plane in England and you either rent your car or you own a car there or whatever, do you drive up to the front door and rev the engine and beep and, hey, mom, dad, look at my new car? Do you park it outside and just kind of own it and you don't have to show it off? Or do you park it around the corner and pretend you got a taxi? Like, which one would describe you best? He said, I park around the corner and pretend I got a taxi. I said, what, why are you, what, are you, what are you afraid of? I said, Tell me about the dynamics between you and your brother. And bottom line is, his brother came to his mom and dad and said they clearly could understand the parents couldn't afford to run them through soccer together. They couldn't afford to drive them all over the country, all over England. And he basically stepped aside for his younger brother. And the younger brother knew that. And the younger brother's known that intuitively, but he's, it's the last thing in the world he wants to recognize and I said, did he give it up because he doesn't like the game, which is the story? Or did he give it up because he wanted to give you a chance? And he looked at me with tears rolling down his face. And he said he gave it up because he wanted to, me to, he wanted to give me the opportunity because he loves me so dearly. And I said, how does that? And he just said, you don't even need to ask another question. I got it. I fucking got it. He says, I can't become as good as I can be because every time I score, every time I get signed, every time I get a raise in my contract, it just feels like my heart opens and I get a nail stuck into the other side because it hurts so much. That's what's holding him back. There is very little difference at that level in terms of skill. There is only so many soccer balls you can shoot into a goddamn net at nine o'clock at night when everyone's off the pitch at six. There has to be something deeper. And if you pull in that thread, you can get to some absolute magic. And we all have it. All of us have it. And so what did he end up doing? He has gone on to have the best 
And I can absolutely say this with, with authority, the best three years of football in his life. Because he stopped being, feeling guilty about it? He, he named the guilt. Yeah. And he, then he had an opportunity to go home and have a, a conversation or a series of conversations to begin to let go of the guilt that he was carrying. Not eliminate it, but begin to let go of it. And to see that by being a better player, by being a better human, by being a better father, he can actually amplify people around him to want more. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And did he have a discussion with his brother? I can't categorically say yes or no to that, but I, my understanding is he did. I mean, yeah, that's a huge burden to carry. I'm sure you have a hundred stories of that, but that's, this is a good segue. I, I've shared this story. I mean, you know, this story, I've shared this story maybe with my wife and a few people, but I thought it'd be instructive to illustrate it sort of here. So going back to that beginning, after I saw you do that thing with that guy <laughs> in the circle, you know, I think I, I chased you down at lunch or I, I remember we were sitting in the hall of the montage uh, in, in Park City. And I was like, I just need to kind of talk with you. And and so I was like, look, I'm I'm struggling between these two worlds. I'm, I'm running this business that that I do love and I enjoy. And but I've started writing and I have this newsletter and I have this other stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm really making an impact there. And it's connecting with people around the world. And I feel very pulled in these kind of two directions. And I think uh, I, I mean, it wasn't even like five minutes. And I think you said something to me like, you know, I, I think you've taught yourself to be a good CEO or a competent CEO, but but I think that you're probably really good at this other stuff and you're afraid of it. And if you just keep it on the side, then it's safe. Like again, resonating everything you said before. And I, I you know, I, I probably got a little bit emotional. I was like, all right, doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, all this stuff, <laughs> you know, same reaction. But, but, you know, in five minutes there, I think you you hit on something that that was a core point of struggle. And 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 I know you say this to a lot of people, but you know, it takes some time and you're not telling them, you know, to go throw out their their day job the same day, but honor their gift. But you know, that that was a, a an impetus. And you know, I eventually found an investment partner uh, you know, for our business, stepped out of the CEO role, leaned into the other stuff because that sort of haunted me. <laughs> um, and and you were pushy about it. Again, I mean, known each other for two minutes. I, it'd be easy to say it was not, I, I, you've almost say the opposite of what anyone else will say, which I know is like the best gift. I could, the biggest compliment I could pay you in the circle. Well, keep your optionality or do this. And you were like, I think you're being a wuss. That was basically the, the moral of, of what you told me that day. And one of the reasons that I'm pretty strong with that is because when somebody begins, I will use language like artistry when you begin to lean into that gift when you begin to lead into lean into artistry yeah. and creativity there's only one real well there's many but there's one there's one big real byproduct that i'm very excited about one is it affects you it makes your life yeah. more enriched and better and, and happier and all that kind of stuff but it's what does it do for the rest of humanity and what does it do for your children? What does it what, what does it do when they get to witness a father who basically is not perfect, I'm sure, but who's who's basically said, no, I'm going to chase my gift. I'm going to allow my gift to emerge rather than hide behind an organization. And I say that sounds very judgy, but, yeah, but yeah. essentially, if I just simplify it and they get to experience that. A lot of my work is I'm actually thinking about you showing up in the world in a better place. So if I'm a bit of a dick about it, a bit of an asshole around it, it it's because there's a bigger purpose. It's not actually about you. There's the impact that you're making through your work. I had a guy reach out to me two weeks ago, said, I heard you on Robert's podcast. I follow Robert. I love his work. Like it's still happening. I know many years ago, yeah. was it since I did the first? It's like three, uh, three, three years, ago, ago. Yeah. years ago. I obviously wasn't good enough to come back a year later, three, four years later, but it's okay. I'm not bitchy. <laughs> look at the long-term data. No. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But but seriously, the impact you're making in the world, that that's another, that, that's a sweet spot for me is I, I want to work with people who want to leave the world in a better place. And and we can all say we all do, but that's not, not my experience. My experience is a lot of us are not there. We're not ready for that. Well, I, it's interesting. I, and, and again, this is not, and I think I asked you when we met how much of it is, again, 
gift, intuition, feeling. Because I think you even said, well, I think your other work is, I was like, how do you know what, that it's making an impact? I, I, you just know what I'm telling you. Are you just feeding me back this? But you and I spent four or five hours together. And I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that more was not revealed in that first 10 minutes than what was revealed in the other four hours in terms of, I think you just nailed it. And, and then fast forward, you know, a couple of years. And, and again, I, this is why I encourage all of you, if you don't, have Philip or someone like Philip in your life, we all have people who tell us what we want to hear. And we call those people. And, and, you know, I wrote a uh, Friday forward about this, Adam Grant. And, and I think it was Tim Ferriss, you know, believe in this challenge network, like who are the people who are going to call your baby ugly. And, and Tim Ferriss would say, Hey, what's it? If, here's my book. And if you had to cut 10%, what 10%, you know, would you cut rather than, Oh, do you like my book? And everyone says that. So so fast forward a couple of years later, I, I, we bring on investor of the business, uh, you know, kind of the deal that's going to allow me to, to do this and make the transition. I'm like totally exhausted. I called you. I'm like, I did it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, and this is how I'm communicating it to people and why. And <laughs> you listen, you're like, I hear what you're saying, but I think you're lying to yourself uh, or something like that about why you're, you know, what, what you're doing. And I was like, no, 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 no. Again, Two days of thinking about it. One day I was like, holy shit, I'm totally lying to myself. And and actually, I won't get into all the details, but it ran really deep about why I was, how I was telling part of this story. And again, it was almost a childhood sort of thing of like being, you know, underestimated. And so again, I called you back two days later, or emailed you, and I was like, hey, you're 100% right. Like, <laughs> I thought about it. It's, I'm, I totally full of it. So I, I, I mean, I've, I've, been fortunate, you know, to have that. I just don't think a lot of people have that. I just see constantly they get reinforcement of whatever story they're telling themselves or otherwise. And, you know, I, I don't know whether they're not willing to make themselves vulnerable or to think about it, but there's there's also a benefit to thinking about this stuff. You know, it's like you gave me the prompt. Maybe you can give everyone the prompt and it just requires them to reflect. Uh, but yeah, so those those were two connected stories where where I think they give an example of a lot of what you were talking about. And again, for me, deeply to childhood, deeply to early life stuff and realizing that a lot of what I'm doing is tied to that and honoring it. And, and, and it's complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So I'm still, do you still remember, do you remember all these conversations? I do. I do. To- I do. I mean, I don't, I don't take notes. I don't take notes and I don't record obviously. So um, these, these nuances, as soon as you bring it back to me though, my recall is, is very, very strong. Right. What what you said to me, and this is probably true for a lot of people, that they've taught themselves to be good at something that might not be what they actually want to do. Right. Is that is that a common I think you said, look, you're smart enough to figure out how to be a good CEO. I just don't think that's what you want to do. And no one had ever said that to me before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot of us are avoiding that artistic expression. I mean, that's a real theme of my work right now is this yeah. idea of artistry and what does that mean to you and creativity? And and a lot of us think that we're, we don't consider ourselves artists. And and when a, when you get entrepreneurs and leaders in touch with some degree of artistry is, is a gateway into um, other parts of their lives. I mean, you know, so many of our clients have written books that they never imagined they'd write. They've started podcasting. They've, they've started coaching people right. and they never imagined they'd do it. I had a girl recently, she's, um, she's in a relationship with, with somebody and she said, you know, I want to do coaching. And I, you know, you, tr- you challenged me on this four years ago, Philip, I'm finally ready. And I said, what about relationship coaching? She goes, Oh God, I'd never do that. And I said, why not? And she goes, well, because I, uh, b- 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 uh, well, I said, you've no idea why no. You've no idea why no. And the reason that you're so scared of it is because it's probably the very thing that you're meant to do. I'm not here to tell her to do that. I'm here to ask her and challenge her. She will be the most extraordinary relationship coach. And she just cannot see her right now. And mark my words, she will be working with couples in an extraordinary capacity. It'll come eventually or she'll die with it. And that's something that saddens me deeply is that so many of the greatest artists we talk about musicians, or they have died with their greatest pieces of music, artistry, canvas inside them. We, we just assume they, they left it all on the ice. They didn't. Some of them did and some of them didn't. What is that artistry? What is that expression that we are unwilling to dance with, unwilling to play with, unwilling to experiment with, that we're not getting to, and therefore we're starving ourselves and humanity of that very thing? And that's the conversation that absolutely fascinates me. All right. So it's been a pandemic since we spoke last. And I, I can't imagine there being a greater 
I don't know, what's the word, instigator of clarity um, in terms of, of a pandemic and a reset. So, so what have you seen? I know you, we could talk about you bought a castle. What have you seen for maybe both yourself from the pandemic and other people in terms of, has this been a, a force multiplier in, in terms of clarity or, or is it, I mean, how, how is it playing out for, for people? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think the thing that I've noticed the most is that people were either forced or invited to be in relationship with themselves in a way they have never done in society before. And um, we've also had to experience a sense of loneliness, regardless of how online you know, connected we were, that there's a kind of a loneliness that we had to face as well through the lack of, of connection. And the final piece, and they're all intertwined, is it's for most people or many people it was simpler. And we often, you know, add simplicity with positivity. But for a lot of people, that, that simpler existence, lack of travel, the lack of complication, the lack of going to the office, um, was actually very, very difficult for them because a lot of us create very, very complex lives, not because we're meant to be complex and not because that's what we want, is because we use complexity as a way to avoid certain aspects of who we are in the world and what we're meant to do. Um, so I, I think if I had to simplify it, I would come back to a lot of us were forced to sit with ourselves in relationship with ourselves and our families in an unprecedented way. And a lot of people didn't like what they saw. They didn't like what they witnessed within themselves and what they witnessed around themselves. And I think for many, it, it, they realized that they didn't have a very strong foundation within themselves. They didn't understand themselves and know themselves a lot. And then the more, I would say, more surface stuff is we realize things like, well, I shouldn't be driving to the office and maybe I don't, I don't like my job. And, I don't like traveling you know, every week of the year. Right? Yeah. And I, for me, I mean, personally, I mean, and I, I'm kind of slightly embarrassed and and, and I, this could also come across as very judgy and, and it's not meant that way. But I used to get quite excited by getting the, you know, the envelope from the airline and feeling my card and, you know, getting the, the platinum or the this, or that or whatever. And, I re- and now that I sit here reflecting on that, I go, God, I, all those cards, the gold, the silver, the shinies, whatever they were, were just more air miles and more hours in the sky away from my family, away from myself and away from my work. And I, like many other people in the world, had that badge of honor, that hat of busyness and flying and importance and flying to this conference and speaking and everything else. And I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, you said I'm a, a keynote speaker. I am, but I I don't want to fly around the world and speak anymore. I have no interest in that. I Very speak- few people, you know, the rate for in-person speaking versus virtual, except for the raging extroverts I know, I would say one out of 50 really wants to go back to their travel schedule from before COVID. Yeah. I just wonder if we fast forward three or four years, are we going to fall into the trap of just getting back to what we had considered normality before that? I hope, I hope not. I hope a lot of us reset and reimagine what's important to us. But I do believe that there has been this unprecedented opportunity to reimagine, you know, what we are and who we are in this world and how we show up. Well, of course, you you actually got to the next question I was going to ask you without knowing it, which was <laughs> I heard you say recently on a podcast that I think deeply all of us want some type of radical simplicity in our lives. So how do you define radical simplicity? Well, unfortunately, simplicity should just be simplicity. It shouldn't be <laughs> radical. But in a world that doesn't necessarily applaud simplicity, it has to be there for a radical for us to get to it. I can honestly say that any client I've ever worked with, if we go deep enough and we have a period of time where we work long enough together, they may not use the word simplicity or radical simplicity together, but that's ultimately what they will describe. When I get people to do paintings or drawings of who they want to be, not what they want, but who they want to be how do they want to show up in the world in three to five years from now? If you give them enough time and you give them good questions in advance, they will draw something that just is a simpler version of the life they currently inhabit. And I often say this, and this is not a very popular statement, but entrepreneurs and leaders aren't really ever addicted to work. They're not ever really workaholics. They're just really uncomfortable being at home, whether it's in themselves or in their own homes. They struggle with connection. Therefore, they derive their meaning and their purpose and everything else through just being crazy busy all the time. And that's a way for them to both provide value in their mind, but also escape the feelings. So radical simplicity to me is we we do want simplicity. We want one job, not five. We want one business, not four. We want one simple house, necess- you know, possibly, and maybe a little cottage somewhere. And we just we just don't want the busyness. I had a client, Robert, that came into Brave Soul as an event I run in Ireland. And it took him about three days to land. And he told us a story about he's a he's a billionaire from uh, Moscow. 
and he and he shared a story about a TV show that's done. I think it's done in different parts of the world where they put him on the street, they take his clothes, his watch, his phone, everything away, and he spends about a week on the streets. And he said the first two or three days he was just shit scared. The next three or four days he was settling in. By the end of the week, he was just so content. It's such a deep level. And when the production van came around the corner, he just got his stomach. He just felt like vomiting because when the production van opened and all the crew got out and everything else to interview him and to talk about him, they had a bag with all the stuff. And when he picked up his, his phone, he just almost vomited because the phone represented all the weight of the world and all the responsibility that he just didn't want anymore. So I don't have a clear definition for radical simplicity because it's different for everybody, but we do want it in the end of the day. That's my experience. Yeah. I, I remember doing the picture thing and it's funny. My guess is when you empirically ask leaders or business people about success it, it, or achievement, it has to do with volume and accomplishments and the number of things. But then emotionally, it is just simpler or easier, or it's a perfect day with their kids or skiing. And 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 so they're just they're doing more and more when really that's that's probably the extrinsic definition of success, not the one that actually really feels good internally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why people need to be ready for that conversation. <clears throat> a lot of us, people come to me, if they want a goal set, they want to like build a multi-million dollar business and everything else. The first question I'll say is wow. why? <laughs> uh, I'll just say, well, why do you want to build it? Because I, I want to. And I said, great, why? And often it's they're building a foundation of a multi-million dollar business because they grew up with poverty. And that's not a bad motivator. It's just not the most yeah. positive one. So yeah, I think simplicity is something that a lot of us are yearning. And I would say longing for Robert. I would say we're longing for simplicity. It's not something we want. I think we're longing for it. But when I say longing, I, I'm literally pointing to my body, my chest, my, my stomach, my solar plexus. It's like this feeling. But a lot of us intellectually think that complexity is what success really is. Well, it doesn't feel good. It does, not that it doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good to do less by the external Correct. version of success, right? Phillips, oh, he's speaking, he's writing. He's like, we celebrate that openly. Yeah. We don't celebrate that Phillips renovating a castle and has inner peace, right? We celebrate. Uh, so that is the sort of, I think of a Western world syndrome. Yeah. And a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders, when I get close to them and they get close to this variation, which is simpler, they will, this is actually, I've seen this all the time. They I see fight this it. All the, they, well, they'll fight it. They'll say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to sit in a, in a sun lounger all day. They'll jump to this extreme variation of their life to dismiss the whole thing. And I say, I'm not talking about it. I'm just saying, what if you got rid of that third business that you don't really like, that doesn't bring you any joy, that you say you only work on two hours a week. But in reality, that is true, but mentally it's 10 or 12 hours a week and so on and so forth. And they hold on to that business because it fills a gap that they don't want to address. That's my experience. So if you're not around, then you don't have the opportunity to be a bad parent, or you might not, you might have a fear that you're a bad parent. Is that sort of like the- Yeah, yeah, that's the sort of thing. Or, or you had a bad childhood and you scared to death to recreate, the, I mean, yeah. Yeah, are you feeling, you feel, you know, that you're not capable of being an amazing parent and, and so on and so forth. So the people you work with, the highest achievers and the people in the world, like you feel at their core, they want to be doing less. They want more simple. They just don't know how to step off the treadmill. I think so, yeah. I have every single person I've ever worked with, they want some sort of simplicity from the life that they currently inhabit. Absolutely. And when you ask them to describe that perfect day, it's never the day that they flew from house A to house B and got an award. I mean, it's never the busy days, right? It's the, I was on a perfect ski run with my yeah. kids or something like that, right? Yeah, I looked across and I saw Charlie. I looked across and I saw Maggie. That's my kids. But, you know, we know this for certain because we've done hundreds of one last talks and we've helped people guide them through a one last talk process. And no one has ever said, oh, my God, you know, I want to share this day or we do this exercise called the five happiest days and we bring people through the five happiest days of their life and then understand why they were the most important. We've never had one person in any stage I've been around the world ever say it was the day I flipped that property and made 50 grand. Ever, unless the 50 grand represented them getting out of poverty or something and it was really deeply meaningful to them. It's never the money. It's never those. And do you ever that. see people stop to celebrate those achievements or do they just move the stick and go on to the next one? Yeah, we're, we're not good as humans of stopping and truly recognizing. I had a client reach out to me. You know, one of his greatest dreams was to run a mastermind. 
And long story short, I'd worked with him for about 12 months. And one day he rang me and I said, how are you doing? He says, uh, his name was Ben. And he says, good, Philip, I want to talk about this. And I said, before we go there, I said, um, and it was a problem he wants to talk about. I said, how's this mastermind? Because you haven't reported back to me. He goes, oh, no, it's full. We sold it out. And uh, we're starting next month. And I said, and you want to talk about a problem? I said, how dare you ring me? How dare you ring me and put that shit on the table when you have not taken a moment to celebrate? I want you to go to, I said, do you eat ice cream? And he goes, yeah. And then he, he was like, what the hell is going on? And he knows me well enough to know I'm a bit quirky. I said, I want you to go and buy an ice cream today. Not with your kids, not with your wife, on your own. And every time you take a lick of that ice cream, I want you to think about the work and the energy and the effort and the bravery and the courage that's required for you to get 14 human beings in a room to run a mastermind, to fly across the country, to trust you to be in a room. And he emailed me back that night. He says, that was the most extraordinary ice cream I've ever had, even though I looked weird because I was sitting licking an ice cream, tears rolling down my face. He had to stop and recognize how far he came, which is one of the things we don't do. Well, we also live in a world that has no quiet. And I know you're a big of, of spending time by yourself, taking a day off. Like, what cadence do you recommend to people to just, how do you recommend that they think about completely unplugging and going and using their sort of subconscious mind? Yeah. I mean, I think even completely unplugging might be too far a stretch for people. But yeah. what I do now is I get into this habit where I have this pattern where every three months I go away for a night, at least maybe two nights, and I just go away and spend time with myself. And many of us can't even get in the car without the radio on because we're so uncomfortable and edgy in our own skin. And it's probably the most important thing that I do as, as a father, as a husband, as an individual, as a creative, as an artist, as a, you know, a coach, whatever. It's, it's, it's my time to not even to recharge, but to reconnect with myself. And I find that as I begin to fall into those couple of days away, that my creativity is trying to kick in and kick off. And I have so many things coming back. When I come back, I'm a better person. My wife actually tells me, when are you going away? I think you should go away. Where before, at the very beginning, it was like, well, why are you going away? Are you speaking? No. Are you, do, are you doing a, a session? No. Or are you doing a stream? You don't, you don't like me? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, what, what's wrong at home? And now it's like, when are you going again? When are you going again? I think you should go. I think you should go. How again. long do you do it for? Uh, two nights, okay. minimum, every quarter. And it's just magic. It's just brilliant. You come back with just a renewed sense of self and, you know, understanding. And are, you, are you talking to anyone or is it totally silent? You know, not no, a no, silent no, retreat, no, but you're not. Okay. Not a silent retreat. I'll pick a little cabin in the middle of nowhere. It could be the shittiest little cabin. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But the less distractions, the better. I used to go to Dufino. Um, but you're not on phone calls. You're not talk, communicating. No, I'm not on the internet. I'm not on phone calls. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to me, that's that's really important. And, he, and, and I think that's a minimum thing we should be doing at least once every six months. Minimum. So let's talk about your pandemic shift for a little bit. Again, you moved from Denver back to Ireland. You bought a castle. You're moving all your programs there. Tell us about all that and the programs that you're running now, because I know these are these are life changing programs. If people are interested in 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 getting connected with you in some way, yeah, we left Boulder on a road trip with the plan to go back to Boulder, and we basically got to Florida. We've been looking at this castle online, uh, kind of chuckling. Um, this is where I tell your listeners I had a vision board where I had a castle on it when I was five, and we've eventually have achieved that. You know, one year short of my fiftieth birthday, but reality that would be bullshit. I was never going to buy a castle. It wasn't even on my conscience. It was nowhere to be seen. And when we looked at it, I kind of chuckled. Uh, then we looked at it again. We looked at it again. Everything that you could possibly, not everything, but most things that could go wrong on a road trip in an RV. We crashed the RV twice. The parking bollard came down and hit the RV twice. So like the universe saying, can you just get on a plane and go back and see this castle in your native homeland? It was uh, the universe was literally driving you off the road. Literally. And we got on a plane during the pandemic, came back, walked into this castle with masks on. We couldn't, the, the realtor couldn't come with us. The estate agent walked upstairs, sat in this uh, place, this great hall, which is modest in size, but magnificent in terms of the energy in the place and, you know, mold and green slime and water coming in and there's fucking rats and bats and everything, everything you can imagine. Now, don't worry, they're all gone. And, um, and my wife looked at me and I yeah, said, like, we, don't, we don't need an inspection. We're, we're, yeah. we're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she 
She says, what do you think? And I said, I, I looked at her, I said, what do you think? And she says, it's perfect. And I think what she meant was it's perfect in its imperfection. Did you visualize it completely done? Like when you uh, looked pretty, at pretty much. Yeah. yeah, I can do that pretty fast. Yeah. And then she said, let's go walk downstairs. Let's play it cool. And uh, that doesn't work for me. I walked downstairs, walked straight up to the estate agent, put an offer in and said, subject to nobody else getting to bid. And that castle was waiting 500 years for us to come along or we've been waiting 500 years for it to come into our lives and one little nuance that we have subsequently found out which does not surprise me in hindsight the the kingdom that this this castle is in the the, the original family who ran the kingdom of the burn in county clare basically they built 22 castles and 21 of those castles were there to protect the one the home of the leadership which happens to be now the one that we are stewards of, um, which we did not know that information before. And now that we're, we, we've heard that, it makes sense because spiritually and energetically, the land is special. So now we're going to reverse and do all of our events here, brave soul, uh, brave heart, brave mind, brave couple, where we work with uh, leadership couples. And we, we uh, briefly ex- just describe each of them, kind of what they are for people who might, because we've had, we've sent some people on them. I've heard incredible things yeah. and I know uh, just, just quickly. Yeah, so I think I think I, it's probably just the, the journey. I suppose is yeah. understanding who we are, like our identity, our story, essentially. So story, impact, story, gift, impact, legacy. The legacy being the byproduct of the lives that we live. So each of those experiences speaks to one part. Like Brave Soul is all about going into your story, back into your past, your childhood, looking about how that has affected who you are today, and therefore writing the script of your future. Brave Heart is all about uncovering your gift in the world and beginning to imagine how you can use that in the world to great you know, to create positivity um, and to impact other people in the world. And then we go into, um, you know, impact and then the byproduct of a lot of that is legacy. The couple's experience is all about helping people navigate, not people who are in, in challenging relationships that are falling apart, but couples who want to deepen their relationship while they're on this earth. Because it's been shown scientifically that couples wait five years too late to work in the relationship. And what's a hairline crack today can become the Grand Canyon in five years. So to make sure that we don't come complacent um, to work in those relationships and see how our childhood and our experience with relationships is impacting. I think our partners ultimately pay the price for the childhood that we, you know, the parts of our childhood that didn't yeah. serve us. And we put a lot of that expectation on their shoulders and we want them to change. We want them to be different and so on and so forth. So that essentially is a lot of the work we do here in Ireland. Amazing. So where can people go if they want to learn more about the retreats and you and all that stuff? philipmckernan.com. You, you want to spell that for everyone? Yeah. So <laughs> Philip, with, Philip with one L, M-C, K-E-R-N-A-N. And I say R as in Roger. That's how we spell it, how we pronounce it, K-E-R-N-A-N.com. So the castle done, the renovation done? We were talking a little bit about this before the call. Yeah, the castle is now a home for the work. It was going to be a home for us, but we decided, no, it's it's, yeah. it's too special a place. It's a place for healing, a place for growth, and a place for leadership. And um, it's about uh, 80%, the castle is 80% restored. Uh, working on the grounds and then there's a cottage and an old ruin and then there's a big shed that we might turn into uh so is that where people stay when they come for their tea? Do they no, stay? No, we're not gonna no. do accommodation. Okay. That's a completely yeah. different animal. There's a, yeah. there's a beautiful hotel just happens to be across the road where I ran my very first event ever, which is mm. weirdly, weirdly ironic. Oh, and, then, and you didn't did you know about the castle when you ran your first event? I had no idea this castle existed. And oh. I, I've been trying to buy a property, Robert, in this valley, which is two kilometers in, in width and five kilometers in length. I've been trying to buy a property here for seven years and i didn't even know that castle existed and it's probably not even one a year that comes on the market right this castle has not sold directly as a property in its 500 plus years of existence on this earth and uh, it turns out that tolkien lord of the rings uh fame uh, he stayed on the property five different on five separate occasions. I mean, the, the the history is just insane. So no, we won't be doing a comedy. There will be there will be rooms. So if we have a YPO group or an EO group or a small intimate group, it is possible. But if if there's groups or individuals, they can stay in the castle or across the road in the hotel or in the little fishing village, which is five minutes away. That sounds pretty pretty idyllic. Yeah. So what what's next uh, for you? I guess in the vein of simplicity, uh, are you you have one last talk? You have this. Is there something new you're working on, or are you just no. doing more of all? Or are you doing less? 
I'm doing less. I'm focusing on the brave work. Um, everything's going to be going through through the, the castle in Ireland. Um, I'm not going to be doing events around the world, which I've been doing events so far afield as India, Peru, Guatemala. That's all gone. It's going to be in Ireland. And I'll probably travel to North America once a year for a few weeks, maybe do some speaking over there, et cetera work with a few private clients and run three or four small intimate live gatherings a year. And that's, that's me. So you're, you're bringing the world to you rather than you going to the world. Well, I'm inviting the world to come. I mean, I won't, huh? I won't lie. There's that insecure <laughs> part of me that I, I that's you what hope they come. <laughs> uh, if I build it, will they come? And sometimes I wake up going, doesn't matter what I build, they won't come. And that insecure little Philip McKernan is still around and will never go away. Um, but I, I, the one thing I know is when they come here, and they walk these 5,000-year-old roads and they listen to haunting music and they, they sit in this landscape that it's not about Philip McKernan. It's about them in a place that has the capacity to bring something inside of them to the forefront. And that, to me, is, is really magical. So I, I'd love to hear if you have one last story because they're, they're always good. I'm sure there's someone listening to this still skeptical you probably had them close to kind of getting a little vulnerable and then they're kind of back in their foxhole or no i'm doing the right thing and more and more i i, I love the stories of like the breakthrough or sort of the, the people that you work with do you have another recent one or one that jumps to mind that really like where someone just came in uh you know swinging and and then you know w was doubtful and then completely changed their priorities or vocation or relationship or something that was meaningful even if they're one of the people who called you a month later said mccurran i know it i know i yelled at you but yeah i mean i've i've I, you know i normally have such an incredible recall for <laughs> stories but there's so many of them it's insane um i mean I, I will i will i will share a little story i know why it's come up but i'll share it i was sitting with a group and what was really interesting it's a it's an organization called eo entrepreneurial organization and i was asked to do what they call a forum so do a forum yeah. this is quite a few years ago and what was interesting with this group is they invited me down, we agreed terms, and they kept signing off their email saying, oh, we're, you, we're, we're super close and we always go super deep. And they just kept saying this to me on every correspondence. So I arrive at this location, they're all having a few drinks. They go, why don't we just start the work now? And I go, no, if there's alcohol involved, there's, there's no work. I have one beer, I excuse myself, I'm leaving the restaurant, I'm walking for the door and one of the guys go, Philip, I'll see you in the morning. By the way, you can go as deep as you want. We're like, we go super deep. And I stopped and I turned around and walked you up to the You just said it way too many times, yeah. And I looked at them and I said, so you keep telling me. And they, they, they just like almost dropped their drinks because it was just a moment where I was kind of saying bullshit, but I didn't know for certain. The following morning, we, we kicked off and it was nice and gentle. And then we started getting into stuff. And before you know it, they're looking across each other and going, I didn't know that about you. And I didn't know that about you. And, and it was really cool stuff. But in the middle of the retreat, I played a variation of the game I described earlier on. I said, you couldn't do what you do. I gave a bit more context. And I said, pick something. And it's often a little random indicator into some hidden dream or some hidden expression. And one guy who's in construction, right? Big guy sitting next to me and they all go around the table. The next minute comes to him and he, he's big, like not physically, but big in construction. And he turns to me and says, I'd make cheese. And everyone started to laugh, like instantly, except me. Because, and the reason I didn't laugh is because I was looking at his face. And they all looked at him and realized, oh my God, this guy's not joking. And I looked at him and I just let him sit for a moment. And there was a lot of emotion in his face. And I said, where? And some guy chuckled again as if, well, obviously he doesn't know where he's going to make he it. He knew exactly where. Yeah. And he gave me a name of a town in Canada, I'll just say that. And then the next minute, you could hear a pin drop. And I said, have you got a building picked out? And he looked at me as if I, he'd just seen a ghost, <laughs> shocked. And he goes, the old fire station, every time I drive past it and I looked at it, I look at it, I imagine myself in there with a cheese factory and a retail shop. Why that story is so massively important is it may not actually be cheese. It may, and it may well be. It may not actually be this building. That story is a representation of something that he longs for. He longs to have his hands and to move and to physically create. He longs for that simplicity, which we talked about earlier on. And ultimately, he's putting his hand up and saying, I cannot and do not want to do what I'm doing anymore. I'm done. And he's overstayed the mark by 10 years at least. And the longer he stays, the longer and more difficult it is to get out. So you don't know whether he's running a cheese shop in that location? 
No, I don't. I genuinely right. don't. And that's not my job. My job is to help him uncover it. If yeah. he has the courage to step in, that's up to him. All right. Well, Philip, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you for all you've helped me with my life and everyone out there for whom you ask the difficult questions and, and, and get them angry. And then they call you back and say, you know, I've been, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about it, but your, your work makes an incredible difference. And I hope, I hope the listeners get a sense of that and will engage in some way with some of the things you offer if they're, if they're inclined to start, start down that journey. You're very kind. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. You can learn more about uh, Philip and his work on the episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review or a rating as it helps new users discover the show and it only takes a minute. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.